You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. If if you're not familiar, Narnia is a kingdom that was once free but has fallen into captivity under the white witch on the right there. Uh, This witch is an evil queen who pretends to be legitimate, but she's an imposter. She has no actual right to be there, but she's in charge, she's powerful, and she's brutal. And as a sign of her dominion, she cast a spell on Narnia, making it winter for 100 years. But then something happens. An ancient prophecy comes true, And this indicates that Narnia's liberation is coming. The snow that's been there for 100 years starts to melt. The queen starts to panic because Aslan, the lion, the true king, has returned to Narnia and he's starting to make all things new. In fact, even before he's defeated her in a final battle, his very presence in Narnia pushes back the darkness. Now, if that sounds a lot like the coming of Jesus, that would be because it was on purpose. Uh, The author, C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian was intentional and very thoughtful about weaving in biblical themes to his work, especially Aslan, who represents Christ, and the White Witch, who is the devil. But you don't have to be a Christian to appreciate the Narnia series. In fact, a lot of non-Christians have looked at Narnia and said, there's something real here, something solid. And one secular writer, Neil Gaiman, uh, said that he was shaken when he realized that Uh, There was a hidden agenda in the Narnia series. (laughs) But then he said this. He said, the weird thing about Narnia, for me, the weird thing about the Narnia books was that mostly they seemed true. These were reports from a real place. Well, friends, our gathering here this morning is a sign that our spiritual winter is coming to an end. Our king, King Jesus, has come down to earth and he's freeing captives one by one. We saw that last week with baptisms, each person testifying to God's grace in their lives. And this is the sense that we get from 1 John. John was a close friend of Jesus, one of his 12 disciples. He described himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. And here's what he says in uh, the chapter before our passage today, in verse 8 of chapter 2. He says, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Our rescuing God has come down to earth and his kingdom is breaking in. John wrote this particular letter to encourage Christians living in Ephesus in modern day Turkey. And he gives several reasons for writing it. I wanna look at three verses uh, before we jump into our main text in 1 John. So first in chapter one, verse four, he says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So he's writing for joy, his own joy, and it seems the joy of the believers in Ephesus. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So he also has a deep concern for their growth and godliness. And then in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 
So John also wants to assure these Christians who really are in Christ that they have an eternal hope, that they are in Christ. And my prayer for our time this morning is that you will have increased joy in Christ, that you will have a deeper zeal for growing into his image, and that you would have assurance of eternal life in him. Our text this morning has several threads in it, but the main idea is this. We know that we have been saved if we practice righteousness. We know we have been saved if we practice righteousness. And our message will have two points with subpoints. we'll get to. Uh, number one, Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And God, number two, God causes his children to persevere. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil and God causes his children to persevere. I want to start with the second half of verse 8 this morning, which says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And this is the lens I think we should view this text through, that God is up to something in this world, that he's come to reclaim and restore a captive territory. He's come to destroy the works of the devil. Now, what are the works of the devil? Well, in, our first part, in the first part of verse 8, we see that the devil has been sinning from the beginning, which takes us back to Genesis in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and he made those things good. And as the capstone of his creation, he made man in his, in his own image, male and female. But Adam and Eve, our first parents, were deceived by Satan and chose to disobey God. And this is called the fall. As a result of the fall, we have all inherited Adam and Eve's sinful nature, which means we're alienated from God. We don't want God in our lives, and so we push him out. And because of that, we deserve death and judgment. And to show, to illustrate for us the severity of this, God in Genesis put a curse on the earth. And this means that the creation is broken. Nothing works exactly the way it should. There are earthquakes hurricanes, there's cancer, disease, COVID. And in addition, our relationships with each other are broken. There's hatred, crime, racism, abortion, abuse of power and authority, confusion about who we are as man and woman made in God's image. The fall impacted every aspect of our world. It means we're alienated from the God who made us from each other, and even from our very selves. And this is exactly what Satan wanted. He wanted us to sin, and he wanted us to die. He wanted to take what God had made good and perfect and to corrupt it in every conceivable way. These are the works of the devil that Jesus came to destroy. Now, 2,000 years after his death and resurrection, there is obviously still great suffering in the world. We still experience pain, tragedy, and loss. But something decisive happened 2,000 years ago when God sent his son into the world. Jesus won a decisive victory over Satan. And we don't see all of its effects yet, but in our hearts, we have what the Bible calls the first fruits of redemption. We experience this in two ways. So my first subpoint, A, is Jesus came to take away sin's penalty. We see this in verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, 
and in him there is no sin. Sin is the essence of what's gone wrong in our world. It brings not only pain and death, but also God's righteous judgment. And this is our biggest problem. We've sinned against our maker. And the great question hanging over our lives is, can we be made right with this God who made us? You may not be asking that question this morning. It may not be what's driving your life, but it is the defining question. Because in our sin, Satan is able to point at us in the courtroom of God and say, look at him, look at her, guilty, and we have no defense. And the Bible says the just penalty for death, for sin is death and eternal separation from God. This is the penalty that Christ came to take away. When he came down to earth, he came as a perfect substitute to absorb all of the wrath and judgment that was headed our way on the cross. And John writes later in chapter 4, verse 10, in this is love, not that he, sorry, I'm going to lose my thought, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word propitiation, it simply means removal of wrath. So if you're trusting in Christ this morning, his wrath for you is no more. Christ took it all on himself, and he did so when you and I were still his enemies. This is how deep and wide his love is for you and me. Let's look, let's look at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Have you known this love? If you haven't, I would urge you this morning to consider God's love for you in Christ. He knows all of your sins, and he went to the cross with you in mind so that if you trust him and turn away from your sins and embrace him as your savior, you can have peace with God. You can be restored into a right relationship with him. Run to him. He will adopt you as his own child, as John says. So, a, Christ came to take away sin's penalty. But as we see in our text, that's just the beginning, which leads to our next point. B, he came to take away sin's dominion. So there's an idea in some Christian circles, I don't think it's articulated this way, but it's practiced, and it's, it's been called easy believism. And this, is, this is the idea that you don't really have to live for God in order to be a Christian. After all, we're saved by faith alone, right? So as long as you prayed a prayer at one point in your life and made a decision for Christ, you're totally good. doesn't matter if you walk, talk, and act like someone who's never met Jesus. You can still say to yourself, I'm saved. But what's, what's wrong with this idea? Well, there's a kernel of truth in it, which is that saving faith really is a free gift. But here's the rub. Real faith in Christ, the saving kind of faith, is the kind that perseveres. It works itself out in all areas of life. And the theological word for this process is sanctification. This is often a slow process. I can attest to that in my life. But it is the mark of every true believer. It's what separates those who just profess faith in Christ from those who possess faith in Christ. And notice the connection in verse 2. 
between our new adoption as sons and daughters of Christ and the new life that follows from that. John says, beloved, we are God's children now. So that's adoption. We've been adopted as his children. But then he says, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. So if you're really a child of God this morning, it's inevitable that you are going to start looking more and more like your heavenly father. Because he put his spirit inside of you. He didn't shed his blood for you just so that you could stay in darkness. I mean, that would not be deliverance. It wouldn't be a salvation worth celebrating. That would be like Elon Musk uh, spending $44 billion of his own money to buy Twitter and then do nothing at all with Twitter. <laughs> the whole reason he bought it was because he wanted to do something to change it. Well, it's the same with Jesus, right? I didn't. <laughs> Elon Musk is not Jesus. <clears throat> you know, I think, I think the graphic on here had little Twitter birds on it, right? The perseverance? Yeah. Well, yeah. But it's the same with Jesus, right? He paid the highest price possible. $44 billion is a drop in the bucket compared to the, the blood of Christ poured out for us. And he did it so that we would be set apart. We become new creatures, that we live differently from the world. So that as John says, the world doesn't know us. Being adopted into his family is not just a name change. It's a heart change and a life change. Salvation is a free gift, but the Christian life is hard and it's a gradual process of being sanctified, putting to death what the Bible calls that old man that you and I were born as, putting him to death so that we can then walk in newness of life. But how do we do that? That leads to our next point, number two. God causes his children to persevere. Now, this is an issue that is sometimes debated among Christians. The question is, does every Christian persevere? Does every Christian make it to the end? Well, John's answer for us this morning is a resounding yes. Jesus said this outright in the Gospel of John when he said, this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he's given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. But also we see this clearly in our text today. Point A, those who are born of God walk with God. Let's look at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why is that? For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Remember when we talked about uh, the whole world being captive, held captive by the devil? Well, this is what it looks like when Jesus frees the captives and makes his home in our hearts. John is saying that your perseverance, although it requires your constant uh, effort, it ultimately doesn't depend on you. That Jesus purchased that for you. If you've been born of God, if you've got his spirit living in you, abiding in you, you're not going to make a practice of sinning. And although that is a command, even more than that, it's a statement of fact in John. He's saying no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. 
And this is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, which Wesley talked about two weeks ago. I remember the role of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us in our hearts. He helps us to start to hate sin and to grow in our love for Christ and the things of God. Now, John here is not saying that Christians never sin. We definitely do. In fact, one of the ironies is that the more we grow in Christ, the more we realize our sin is big. And Christians can even fall into seasons of sinful patterns and snares. But John is saying that as Christians, we never make peace with our sin. We don't love it the way we used to. It's not what gets us out of bed. We have a new love that has become our deepest love, the love of Christ, because he first loved us and he gave us his spirit of adoption. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a Christian, but you just feel defeated by sin. Maybe you've given into it repeatedly and that promise that Christ gave that you would be free indeed, it just hasn't happened for you yet. And maybe as you're listening to this, you're thinking, this is discouraging. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Well, I want you to think back to World War II. If you've seen the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan, this this won't be hard. Fantastic movie. Um, The opening 15 minutes are uh, D-Day, right? It's Omaha Beach, and it was absolute chaos. Uh, Bullets flying everywhere, mortars dropping out of the sky. It was total war. And on that beach, there were two kinds of people. First, there were those who were alert, ready for action. Sure, they were scared and even desperate at times. Maybe they took a hit. But they were fighting for their lives. and They were engaged. They were in the fight. And then there were those who had no awareness of the dangers around them, no sense of urgency at all, and no desperation because they were dead. Friends, that is a, just a faint picture of spiritual warfare in this life. There are only dead men and struggling men on the spiritual battlefield. There's no Iron Man Christian out here who's getting victory all the time. There's just normal Christians who fight it out every day, win some and lose some. And those who don't fight at all because they're still dead in sin. So I hope that encourages you this morning. If you're struggling, if you're dealing with sin that you haven't gotten victory over, be encouraged. I mean, this church is here for you. It's, it's one of the reasons we exist, to pick each other up when we fall. We never leave a man behind at King's Church. And the very fact that you're engaged in the fight, that you care about it, is a sign. It's a wonderful sign that you really are born of God. Or to use John's language, that God's seed is abiding in you. And I want to I want to hone in on that seed language for a second because we don't live in a farming culture uh, in D.C. and uh, we don't plant seeds here. We eat them at the baseball game. Um, my my mom likes to garden at home, so this is more real for her. If you're watching, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> um, so last Christmas I bought her some some tomato seeds, and uh, hopefully she's planted them by now. Now would be the time. And what do seeds? So what are seeds? What do seeds do? Um, they grow, right? They they grow. If you have a tomato seed, it grows according to its unique DNA, very unique design. If you have an apple seed, 
You're going to get an apple tree, a very unique design. So when God puts his seed in you, what's he doing? He's giving you his spiritual DNA. And as the result, you start to hate the things that he hates and delight in the things that he delights in. And yes, you still have your old man competing at war now with this new principle at work in your soul, but you're, you're fighting and you're experiencing gradual growing degrees of life. Uh, Peter picks this up in one of his letters when he says that uh, in verse chapter one of first Peter, that you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. That means the seed he put in you, it's never going to die. Praise the Lord. So coming back to our text, notice the certainty of this in verse two. He says, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So does this mean that we can't lose our salvation? Yes. It means that you can't lose your salvation if you're really born of God. You can't be unborn. It's a miracle. God will see to it that you make it as a Christian. And John drives this point home in chapter 5. I want to look at two verses in particular. Verse 4, he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And then in verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. But again, this is, uh, this is not easy believism, right? The idea that you can be a Christian but not live like one. There's a, also a, a sense of heavy urgency in this book to show that we really have been born of God. Verse 3 he says, everyone who thus hopes in him, that is in God, purifies himself as he is pure. And this is the line uh, with uh, what Jesus said in, in John 15. He said that we should bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. So it's, our, it's the fruit of our lives that proves whether we've been born of God. This process of sanctification is not automatic. It's, it takes work. It takes a lifetime. Remember how Ben uh, put it back when we were in Exodus. God brought Israel out of Egypt in a single day of deliverance, but then it took years, decades, to get Egypt out of Israel, to get the old sinful ways out of their hearts. And it's the same for us. It takes time, and it can be painful. So if you're born again, no, you can't lose the gift that God has given you. But you'll also take up your cross to follow Christ. Jesus said uh, that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So what does that look like? Well, it means a pattern of daily repentance, which just means turning away from the old self in order to have Christ. And guys, if there's anything I wish I knew early on in my Christian life, it's that the gospel is not just the front door into the Christian life. It's the good news I need every day. I need to know that I am safe in Christ because I'm aware of how flawed and sinful I am. I need to know that my sins yesterday, last night, this morning, tomorrow, are already covered by the blood of Christ. Christ. 
I need to know that he's for me and he sides with me against my sin. Some of you are stuck in your walk with the Lord this morning because you, you don't realize that the gospel is good news for you every day. Uh, Christ didn't just die for your initial entry into the faith. He died for every day that you're going to walk this planet. And that is hugely good news. It means that you can bring your sin to him and not be afraid of judgment. He knows about it. He sees everything. He paid for all of it 2,000 years ago. We don't just grow in our walk with God by ceasing to sin. We grow by bringing our sin to Jesus, who is our faithful high priest and who is an advocate for you and me. Let's look for a moment at verse one of chapter two. John uses this word advocate. He says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. So John is giving us a roadmap. He's talking to people he, he understands to be genuine Christians. And he's giving them a roadmap to deal with their sin, which is going to be ongoing until they're, until they're resurrected in, in, in with Christ. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. So what, what is an advocate? This is DC, lots of lawyers in the house. Uh, Taylor Johnston, somewhere in here, is a judge advocate general with the US Navy. Advocate, lots of, lots of attorneys here, um, I would assume. So an advocate is simply an attorney in a court of law. So what, is this, what does it mean that Jesus is your advocate every day? If you're in Christ, it means that he pleads your case before the Father. It means that every day his perfect righteousness is applied to your account. And that's the forgiveness that you and I get to walk in if you've put your faith in Christ. His cross lends a massive shadow of forgiveness over your entire life so that you can run under it. And this is normal Christianity. Jesus destroying the works of the devil in you and in me. Which brings us to our last sub-point. No one who keeps on sinning has been born of God. Now, when we, uh, bless you, when we uh, talk about who's saved and who isn't, um, that there can be a tendency to cringe, right? Because we feel like it's not our place to say, um, you know, who, I'm not God, I can't see into their hearts. And is it really for me to judge? Didn't Jesus say, uh, judge not, lest you be judged? And for all of the legitimate applications of, of that, in this text, John just won't let us get away from spiritual clarity. He wants to assure those who are born of God that they are, and he wants to warn those who think they're born of God that they're not. He really cares about clarity. So look at what he says in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And then look at verse 8. He hits this three times. Verse 4 and then verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And finally, verse 10. By this it is evident. Evident, which means we can see it. Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Well, friends, what do, we, what do we make of this? 
I think while these, some of these verses might sound harsh, they're actually extremely loving. Because th- these verses could save your life this morning. The, these verses are a loving wake-up call to anyone who wears the Christian label but doesn't love Christ. And perhaps that's you this morning. If you're at peace with your sin, if you can go hook up, get plastered, get high, and that doesn't bother you at all, if there's no real love for Christ in your heart, no love for his people, then I have to say, based on what John is saying here, you're not born again. I, I don't care if you say you're Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic, if that's the state of your heart, you haven't been converted. But if that is you, I just want you to know that there is a world of hope for you. Everything we've said this morning about Christ being our our advocate in God's courtroom, giving us eternal life, giving us new hearts, all of that can be yours this morning if you would trust him, if you would come to him. He took on my sin and the sin of countless people in this room who I'm sure would love to talk to you about it. He can take your sin too. And when he does, he'll throw it to the bottom of the sea because he loves you. Would you call on him this morning? Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.